If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Great to be with you. I hope you had a great weekend. Appreciate you joining us. I'm Jeff. That's Director Matthew. We're online at ESPNTallahassee.com. That's where you're going to listen live via the streaming free always. Don't miss anything. But if you do, go back and caught up at your leisure as we'll uh, post all three hours of the program to Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you get podcasts. So longing, so longing, that's not a word, so long as it works, meaning the hip cast. We think it will. You should be all right. Email the show if you like, jcs at 979espinradio.com. On Twitter, it's at jcameronshow. And uh, hello, YouTubers. Good to be with you guys. Thanks for watching. All guests appear via the Phone Hero hotline. Phone Hero specializing in iPhone and iPad repair. Two locations, 2915 Cary Forest Parkway, 833 West Gaines Street, online at phonehero.tlh.com. All that happened, the week that is, where we're going, that's all coming up. Of course, Colin Morikawa, your open champion, and um, I've had the good fortune of bragging on Colin Morikawa, having interviewed him and his coach before, and he is a great kid and a worthy champion and a really cool um I think development is as we watch that core group of guys as youngsters, as as we all noted when they came out of college, whether you're talking about uh, Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, you name it. The idea that golf was going to be in good hands because the young guns are coming in, coming in hot and not afraid, not asking for permission. Turned out to be true in the case of Colin Morikawa, for sure. The other guys have played well, but Morikawa is a, a special breed of player, and it's a lot about what's up here. He is strong mentally. I'll get to that. I'll give you my thoughts on the Open. Give you my thoughts on uh, the fact that it's kickoff week for the ACC. It is uh, time for ACC kickoff, ACC Media days, for lack of a better term, up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Joining me to talk about that in the 4 o'clock hour 
Irash fell, as we're wont to do. Normally, I would be on my way up there. Not going to happen this week pertaining to uh, our own business, trying to figure out uh, the finishing touches on the Jeff Cameron show. So I tweeted something. I want to address this right from the top because I said that I would, and I screwed up. Nothing bad, nothing bad. Just kind of look like a doofus. It's a major misstep on my part. I have to own it. I was a little overzealous. I was very excited, and I continue to be very excited about what comes next for the Jeff Cameron show and and how soon we're able to talk about it. I thought, uh, obviously, that this was, uh, everything was uh, finalized, understood, completed, and ready to roll. And there was a good reason that I thought that. I wasn't just flying off the handle here. It wasn't anything silly, but I should have checked with, uh, with, for lack of a better term, the attorneys involved about when it was I was allowed to say for certain the next step of the Jeff Cameron show. And I didn't. Instead, I tweeted out, quote, that I'm excited to announce the future of the JCS on tomorrow's show. This was yesterday. Make sure and tune in today at 3 p.m. That's right now, if you're so inclined, as I'll be ready to share the good news in the opening segment, or so I thought. Then I mentioned that I wanted to acknowledge talented, hardworking people that I've worked with and will be working with, and the future is bright, and it is. It still is, and those people are great, hardworking, and talented, and I will acknowledge them. Just not today. (laughs) Just not today. I had to follow up my tweet with another one that said, yeah, I screwed this up. I'm sorry. I put the cart ahead of the horse, and I just screwed it up. That's not what you do. It's not what you do, Matthew. It's not what you do. And I pride myself on not doing those kinds of things, not doing those. I mean, mean, I've said things I regret. We all have. I'm paid to give an opinion on a daily basis, and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to take time to reassess things. And as new information comes to light, man, I may have a different opinion, and I'll share that, and I'll backtrack, walk it back, whatever you want to describe it as upon garnering that information and evaluating the situation. But I don't normally jump the gun on something like this. This is something to celebrate and to get right, and I screwed it up. So if you're tuning in right now specific to hear about where it is you're going to be listening to the Jeff Cameron show in the not-too-distant future when ESPN shuts down having been sold, uh, I don't have that answer for you. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. And entirely my fault. What a dumbass. Can't believe I did that. So I want to apologize because there are a lot of people tuned in right now who are excited to hear it. And that is flattering and awesome and it makes me feel good. And uh, it only emboldens me to do well on this show and, and to get it right and to and to uh, make sure that we try to provide uh, the most entertaining and insightful program as possible. But uh, I did screw it up. So. I don't have information for you. I will later in the week is what I'm told. I am uh, hesitant to expound and say much more about a specific day or anything like that this week. When I get the green light from all parties involved and all of the principal players, including the attorneys, and they say you 100% can now move forward with this announcement, we have finished all of our uh, thorough vettings and checks of said deals and uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Go for it, Jeff. 
make it happen, then I will do that, and I will announce that, and I will be excited to do so. And I do think it's very soon. And the last part of that tweet is true. The future is bright, and I really look forward to talking to you about what we're doing next on the Jeff Cameron Show. I um, I think I've been around long enough now to appreciate, if I didn't already, and um, and and truly, um, uh, I think take a step back and and realize how fortunate I've been, um, and 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 continue to be to work in this field. It's been a dream come true. I've joked about it before, and I'll bring it up again when we do make the official announcement, but I can just remember being in Dick Hauser Stadium and and doing work, doing homework, and, and watching Florida State baseball. And um, I remember a couple times thinking one day when I was sitting there that, man, if I, if I ever got to, to even just cover this baseball team, let alone the football team, or Florida State Athletics in general, like if I could find a way to, to do that for a living, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be something? Um, you know, you just daydream about what your future might hold or what you want to do. And I was always so lost and never really knew and just struggled with that phase of my life. Um, but then, you know, here we are 20 plus years later and I'm doing just that. And I pinch myself all the time and I truly am filled with gratitude. So, uh, we'll get it right. I'll get this announcement right. We'll, we'll we'll do it here real soon. I just want you to know that I appreciate you. And I appreciate all of you who have been on board from the very beginning to the newcomers who maybe just found out about the show recently and the many more that will find about the find out about the show for the first time here in the coming days. I look forward to it. And I look forward to all the people that I'm going to be involved with because uh, it's a great opportunity. It's a continued great opportunity. So except, I hope you accept my apology. I know. What a silly foot and mouth type of thing just to have done, to have screwed up. But uh, I know a lot of people tuned in today. They, they lead very busy lives. They're doing a lot of other things. I'm not trying to self-aggrandize or I don't view myself as overly important, anything like that. But, you know, you're busy and you thought, oh, I'll tune into that 3 o'clock hour. Jeff said he's going to tell everybody what's going on. Yeah, no, <laughs> I wasted your time, at least as it pertains to the announcement, not as it does the show, because the show is going to be great. Like I said, we're going to have Ira on. This is ACC kickoff week. Same with the SEC. We are 39 days and a wake-up away from playing big-time college football. Here we go. 39 days and a wake-up until we start playing football. Woo! Sweet Jesus, that's good news, baby. We're longing for it. We've got big questions to answer, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties, but a lot that will be revealed, I think, for the good and the bad for Florida State this year. And really, if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, I know this isn't a playoff caliber team, so what am I going to find out? Is there intrigue? What are we going to learn? This is a year that I think you learn an awful lot. You may not always get the answers you want, but you're going to get answers. And most people don't like being in limbo. I'm one of them. I hate being in limbo. I don't like the uncertainty of um, you know not knowing. And I, I, I want to, whether you're learning some new subject or a, a part of history or whatever it might be, and in this case, what your team is and where they're going and how far they still have to go to get to where you want them to be. I don't, I don't like that to be sort of nebulous. I want concrete answers. I want to be able to say, oh, okay, look, we still have a long way to go in this area, but we've improved greatly here. And, oh, by the way, this is a team that's easy to root for because they're fighting together. They're playing hard together. They're playing smart. They're just not good enough. I think we're going to learn these things. This, generally speaking, is a window into expectations. This week is a peak 
at a window into expectations because you're going to learn what these coaches think of their teams via their interviews in Charlotte. You're going to learn what the players' expectations are. Now, you'll get a lot of fluff in there. You'll get a lot of, oh, they're not saying anything. They're speaking, but they're not saying anything. But there will be enough that you can derive from what each of these student athletes and coaches say about the upcoming season, about the spring that just was, about the camp that's about to open up, to glean a little insight as to what are their expectations. For some teams, obviously, it's a slam dunk. You know, Alabama expects to compete for a national championship. So does Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. The rest of us, I don't know. Let's find out. And what kind of tightrope does Mike Norvell have to walk? as he sets expectations for this team and these fans. Um, I think he's got a balancing act ahead of him. I think it's going to be very fascinating to listen to him talk this week because on the one hand, I think he's got to be relieved that he's finally got a, a handle on his team, that that he it's you know that, that they have bought in. Anybody still here has certainly bought in, right? And I think he's got to be relieved because – they can, they can recruit in earnest and have contact with players, and they've had very successful recruiting weekends. They got a lot out of those weekends, a lot of verbal commitments and a top-10 class currently. Again, those are all verbals, but that's a surefire sign that there was a plan in place, that they worked the plan, executed the plan, and won over some kids of uh, high-caliber um, athleticism, uh, players that uh, – good football players, for lack of a better term, and – um, now, now you have to find a way to sustain those commitments, to hold those commitments. And I think um, where we get into the discussion of how that's possible, will it be possible, is what kind of games, what kind of records uh, probably allow for that, and also what are they going to look like in those games. You, know, you can lose, but you can look like you know what you're doing. You can give yourself a fighting chance to be in a football game. You don't, get, you don't have to get blown. As Corey Clark, my good buddy Corey Clark, likes to say, you, you know, there's no law against you pulling an upset. Other teams do it. You're allowed to win games you're not favored to win. You also don't have to get blown out every time you play somebody who's ranked. You're, you're allowed to be in the game early in the third quarter. You're allowed to have a fighting chance to uh, pull off an upset or capitalize on a timely turnover or untimely for your opposition, like you have a, you know, there's an expectation that you line up with teams that may very well be better than you currently, but that doesn't mean you got to get beat 48 to 6. You could be in the game. And I think as fans, we want to see that. We want to see signs that we're moving that way. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. A lot of FSU today with the ACC kickoff getting started. I'll get to that, of course. I mentioned it just a moment ago. Got into some of my thoughts, the overreaching thoughts on what Florida State should be or want 
what we want them to be and what they'll look like in the ACC meetings this week and all of that. But certainly the sports of the day as it pertains to the weekend was an incredible game on Saturday night between Phoenix and Milwaukee. And also we have an open champion in the form of Colin Morikawa, who is young and learns quick, not having nonsense. Grand opening, grand closing. Colin Morikawa walks in, first time he's ever played in the event or the course. I'll go ahead and take the Claret Jug. Thank you very much. And I'm young and unafraid, and that is the thing that stands out to me. It is crazy to watch him at 24 years of age play what looks to be an old man game. It is fairways and greens. It's not the gouge. It's not the the bomb and gouge approach of these uh, massive hitters, uh, but rather uh, elite iron play. And when he's making putts, he's really tough to beat because of that iron play. Um, that, by the way, the accomplishment of winning the Open the first time you've ever played in the event has been accomplished just twice previously in the last 25 years. Um, I, you know, I, I think when you look at all of the putts that he made, uh, it was uh, rather remarkable to see how it was. He held off John Rahm and Jordan Spieth, but he's just such a special kid. And um, on this show, I know sometimes... I get too in-depth with golf for your liking. Many of you, uh, there's a contingent of my audience that does not love golf yet. You're too young, and you're saying, Jeff, don't do this. Come on, man. But what you do love is insight on our champions and those that compete. You want to know a little bit about who they are. And I can't tell you that I'm friends with Colin Morikawa. In no way, shape, or form can I say that. Not at all. But I have interviewed him, and I have interviewed his coach. I mentioned that last week on the show, Coach Chun. Um, just just an awesome kid. And, and when you listen to people who do know him and know him well, they all say the same thing, that he has uh, a great intellect, that he is extremely hardworking and humble, uh, and he is unafraid. He is absolutely, um, as he said, I mean, actually you can just quote him. When he gets into these events, and he was asked several times about how it is he's able to come in and compete to win major championships, and he now has two of them at the age of 24 without ever wavering. Well, he points to the fact that the vast majority of these guys that are atop the rankings currently uh, or even the young guns that joined him on the tour uh, in the last two years, he's played against or with all of them several times. So not a lot changed when it came to him competing against the younger players. And as it pertains to the older players, obviously he has stared them down previously and won a major. So now that weight is off his back. It is fascinating to watch the psychology of individual sports and the impact of winning and how that changes the way you move forward with your career. Um, You see it in tennis. You see it in other individual sports. Uh, I love learning about it. I love listening to people who have the expertise. Um, Dr. Brett McCabe, for example, who has joined me on Beyond the Tips on Sirius XM, PGA Tour Channel 92. You know, he is a guy that will lend incredible insight. He works with Alabama football. He works with Florida State golf. He works with Uh, countless others, both individuals and team-oriented sports. He himself was a pitcher uh, at LSU, a national championship version of LSU. So he's been in the field of battle, and they talk a lot about the things that it takes for you to 
to be in the fire and to come out on top and, and how to uh, calm your, your nerves and, and deal with the pressure of the moment and succeed and then learn how to win and, and go from there and, and capitalize on that. I think there's a lot to getting these, these wins out of the way. When you're as talented as Colin Morikawa, or Victor Hovland, or Matthew Wolf, or a number of other young players that have entered the uh, the field here in the last three or four years. It's important to win a major as quickly as possible. John Rahm getting the U.S. Open this year was really important because what begins to happen for all these guys that show preternatural ability to hit a golf ball, who show the ability under the most intense pressure to calm their nerves, to breathe, and repeat golf shot after golf shot under those conditions. What happens is if you showcase that skill in regular PGA Tour events, and certainly if you did it in college, with it comes the weight of expectation. With it comes this idea that you are set apart even amongst the best in the world. You know, the 1% that can do this or less than 1% that can do this at this level, you're better within that group um, in an obvious way. That's how much talent you possess. That we think not only are you one of the best players in the world in a field that is so very small, again, that can go out there and compete on the PGA Tour, but we think that even amongst that group, you're at another level. You've ascended to another place. Well, you got to go win. You got to go win a major. And if you can't get that monkey off your back early on, the pressure to do so and the conversation surrounding every tournament you play in begins to mount it took years for phil mickelson who was transcendently good an all-time great college golfer some say the greatest college golfer ever go look at the numbers the accolades the success stories he was a guy that everybody expected would step foot on the tour and win and win right away and he did, but he couldn't win a major. And that became the storyline. That was the storyline for him every time he stepped foot at a major. Then he finally broke down the door, won a major, and then won six of them. I feel like once the burden was removed, he felt free to play uh, and just play and not think about all the other stuff that goes with not having won the so-called greatest player to never have won a major. You get that moniker, and it doesn't go anywhere, and it is tough to shake. Colin Morikawa, by winning a major already previous to stepping foot on Royal St. George's, went in, I'm sure, with no weight of expectation whatsoever. He's 24 years old. He's not played a lot of Lynx golf, but he's already won a major. He's already won multiple events on tour. He's got time. There was no thought that he was going to go in and win. He certainly was amongst the handful or, say, five to ten players we thought could win because of his world ranking, how good a ball striker he is. He is a fairway guy, so he's not going to be yanking it 100 yards left off the tee box the way Bryson DeChambeau does into uh, fescue that's four feet high and awfully tough to try to chop out. He was going to be in play. But with him, as you saw from the rankings, it's always about whether or not he makes putts. He's 122nd on tour in the in the putting category. Uh, he was first in the field this week. You go from 122 to first, you're putting it well, and you're in a lot of fairways, and you have the toughness that he has between the ears. 
You're going to win a lot. And now he's won two, and you wonder, can you bar the door? I mean, that guy is going to be in contention for most majors. There are some courses where his length will be a problem for him. He does not hit it a mile. Now, he's not short, short, but he's not long. And there will be some courses where he's at a decided disadvantage. This certainly wasn't one of them. And in most places, he hits it far enough and accurately enough that if he's making putts, he'll be around on the weekend. But he is really likable. And his maturity and his class is just simply awesome to watch. We don't see guys master the course the first time they play it all that frequently. Ben Curtis did it 18 years ago, winning the Open in his first attempt at any major. That's amazing. Before that, you have to go back to Tom Watson in 1975, who won the first of his five British Open championships at Carnoustie in his first attempt as well. And he said, um, basically, the way you have to win, whether it's at Royal Lytham or St. Anne's, wherever it is, the way you win an Open is to embrace that style of golf. You have to change the way you think about playing golf and what ought to be when you hit golf shots and embrace that style of golf. I think certainly he has, uh, Colin Morikawa has, I mean. So has Jordan Spieth, who has, of course, won a British Open and is a guy that seems to really enjoy the imagination it takes to play on that kind of course, on Lynx courses. So um, I, I, I found this week riveting, and I'll tell you one of the reasons that I did. Too often, the Open can can rule out certain people from having a chance to win based on how unlucky they got with the tee time pairings, whether that is late early or early late, and then the ensuing monsoon comes through and the winds come in, and guys that played before you played in a tranquil 72 degrees with very little wind, and you tee it up that afternoon, and you've got 45-mile-per-hour winds, and it's misting, and it's freezing. Well, that ain't fair. Now, that's the way golf is. It's played outdoors. I get it. But the degrees to which the extreme happens at an open championship is too much for my liking. You, you, you eliminated entire groups of players, not because they didn't play well on their own, but because the weather dictated they had no chance. This time around, we had a very even, uneventful climate shift, at least in terms of day-to-day. I mean, for the most part, it was absolutely sunny and beautiful. It was They had the warmest day of the year there. By the way, the longitudinal plane that it's on is the same as Alberta. So it's never going to get hot there. It, uh, I think 80 degrees was the warmest day. Made me yearn to be there watching golf. Um, wasn't all that windy. Didn't dry up and get super fast. So everybody had the same shot. And he went out there and took it. And I loved watching it. That was, um, it was good golf. It, it played well for TV, too. I do think, and this will be the last I uh, talk about golf uh, for, for now, because the, the majors um, were interesting, and we had a slew of them in a short period of time, and now we're going to go, what would you tell me, 200-something days without one? Yeah, it was a couple of days ago, um, but if I remember correctly, it was like uh, 261 days, um, and there's been seven in the past 370 or so. So we're, uh, we're in for a long drought here. We're going to be yearning. Um, but you know, I've appreciated it. It was good. By the way, Morikawa for, um, for the entirety of the week made a grand total of four bogeys. 
none in his last 31 is just <laughs> on, the, on the table kind of stuff. Yes, it is on the table kind of stuff. Uh, he became the first male golfer ever to win two major championships in debut appearances in each. He won the PGA Championship, as I said, the first time he played it in 2020. Now, the difference is that PGA Championship that he won, of course, he played on a very, very familiar course. He grew up playing there, and he played that course many times. Um, Cal played that course a ton while he was there. So he was very familiar, even though he had never played it as a professional. Uh, very familiar with that course. This was the opposite. It was simply crazy. Um, the, the stuff that you hear the other golfers say about him, it, it's it's so cool. Uh, I would love to be described this way as he is. First of all, he's often referred to as smart and classy. Those are two pretty cool adjectives and, and descriptors. Um, the other thing to, to note is that he is uh, – considered even by his peers to be an elite ball striker, iron player. And, you know, Jordan Spieth said of him, he hits uh, with the shots he's hit and the putts he's hold. He's certainly not afraid of high-pressure situations. He's certainly not afraid to win major championships. And he positions the club perfectly with his irons always. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I wish you and I could go play golf or Tom and I could play golf. And you're like, well, I'll tell you, Cameron. You position your irons perfectly every single time. Nobody would say that about me. Nobody would say that about many people. Nobody even says that about many of the tour players. Golf is freaking hard, and he makes it look really, really easy. So we have a new champion, and it's Colin Morikawa, and it's impressive. What are we going to do about Rory? Yeah, you and I both love Rory, and he is just lost in the wilderness, just in a He can't seat. hit a good shot. It used, to, it used to be just wedges. No, he can't hit anything. No, he's frustrating. He'll hit. A, he'll have a great hole, and you'll see him emerge. Like, oh, there's the Rory I know. He just hit one, piped one three twenty five down the heart, and then Cozy's one up there and makes his bird. And you're like, okay, there it is. Next hole, wayward by a hundred yards, duffed second shot, poor approach, three putt. What are we doing here? Yeah, man. Well. You know, guys go through swing changes, and whenever that happens, you worry that they're never going to find the bottom, that they're not going to get there. And he doesn't look to be there. He has so much in the way of uh, natural gifts uh, and, and, and talent that he can make cuts, even though he's just not playing a very confident brand of golf. But to win, to win a championship the way that his game suggests he should and the talent suggests he should, he's going to have to figure it out between the years right now. I love that guy. He's a good person, and he's great for golf, and he's won multiple major – what's he, like four? I mean, he's, he's – you know. But you feel like when you watch him play, with the way that he drives the golf ball, you're like, you ought to have seven or eight majors. I know that's a lot for anybody to bear, but he – I don't know. This is not a Tiger swing change, is is it he's not just like changing it just to change it? No, I, I'd have to, I'm going to go research this. I don't know why. You know, Chambly talked about it on um, live from and and said, well, he's been going through this golf swing change for whatever he's like 24 months now or whatever. I was like, what are we doing? I don't know. You know, Ricky Fowler went through swing changes and he hasn't been the same. You feel like going, stop messing with things, man. If you go all the way back. I think you can make an argument. Now, it's it's hard to make this argument because of what the career turned out to be and the records that were set. But I feel like you can make an argument that 
Tiger Woods should have never changed his swing from the Butch Harmon swing. Yes. Like, just stay skinny and keep swinging like that. And do not mess with it. I mean, you're boat racing people by 15 strokes in majors. Let's not mess with it. Yeah, I don't know. But then again, people get into this mentally. They get, you know, some guys want to know everything. Some guys want to know nothing. And if you're one of these people that want to know everything, I'm talking about your specific craft. I mean, there's a burden to that because you're thinking all the time and not just letting, allowing your artistry to play through. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. you saw it by now if you guys out there listening did not there was another fan incident when is this ever going to end there are a lot of things that have trended in certain directions over the last several years that are disconcerting as it pertains to our fellow human beings you see certain behaviors or certain uh, a certain lack of decorum during debates and discussion that kind of stuff that are it's unsettling and also uh, non-productive and polarizing and doesn't serve the larger interests of human beings. Uh, it's not something that uh, is going to solve our problems but create new ones. And we all kind of can agree with that. We we see that and we we we're all little we find it off-putting. Um, but if you're going to simplify that and just look into one realm of society. Fan behavior in this country, good Christ. And I shouldn't just say in this country, uh, the level of vitriol and hate spewed uh, worldwide in soccer matches everywhere towards international players and people of color is absolutely disgusting and uh, disconcerting. And obviously, I don't need you don't need me to preach to you about that. We all see this, read this, view this, read about it, and recoil. Yeah, and for all the things that we missed during the pandemic that, you know, that was not one of them. I feel like some of this, uh, obviously one very small part of it, is the result of the pandemic. Um, not bringing out the best in human beings who are psychologically damaged from their time spent in quarantine. And, and I'm, not, I'm not making a larger point here. I'm just pointing out that people cooped up and then returning to the uh, larger world here and interacting again with pent-up frustration and angst and... Uh, energies have not always uh, harvested those in a, in a positive direction as we're seeing. We're, we're, we're seeing people now almost feel like it's their right to interact with the sports that they pay to view as opposed to being spectators. And it's very, very strange. It's, you know, think back before this, how many interactions with fans can you recall? There, there are famously moments in time where fans entered the playing surface or the court and, and suffered grave consequences, the malice in the palace being a big one, uh, Monica Sellis being stabbed by a deranged fan uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, I believe it was at Wimbledon. But the, the, the point would be that those were always extreme outliers. Like a deranged fan stabbing a combatant in a sporting event, that, that's, you know, 
what are we doing here? You're, you're talking about somebody who's mentally ill and definitely an outlier. But lately, it's been too commonplace that we've witnessed this sort of interaction. And I guess I should get to the point because I'm not referencing the specific incident. I'm just talking about fan interactions with the sporting figures they're watching uh, on the whole. There was an incident on Saturday in which a fan threw a baseball from the stands uh, during the Yankees-Red Sox matchup. Uh, Yankee fan throwing a baseball, hitting Alex Verdugo. Um, now, immediately following this, obviously the Yankees do, do not condone that. That's not something the Yankee fans are known for. It's not, I said a Yankee fan. Well, it was. I'm just identifying where the game was and how it happened, not necessarily making a blanket statement about Yankee fans. Because I don't think even the worst of us as fans want to see this sort of interaction. Uh, no, no fair-minded, rational, law-abiding citizen is uh, is cool with this. And Aaron Boone rightfully said after the game that fans should be thrown in jail. That's assault. Um, that has not happened, but Major League Baseball did step in and issued a lifetime ban. Um, the Yankees have banned the fan for life, but Major League Baseball is going to attempt to ban the fan from any Major League ballpark anywhere for life. I, I question whether or not you could do that. Um, I, I'd like to see how that is implemented. In fact, I don't know that you could. I really don't know that you could. Um, but I I get it. I get that you would want to, if you have identified them via videotape, actually throwing, uh, in this case, a baseball. Uh, you know, you've weaponized a baseball at that point, um, and you're throwing it at a, a player, and he's up in the stands. Players down on the field. So you're throwing a ball downward, hitting a guy who's not looking at you. That could have ended very badly had it hit him in the head. But obviously my point here would be that there's an intent to harm. I mean, that is an assault. You're attempting to harm somebody. You don't playfully chuck a baseball from the stands at a player. Um, it's different than when fans throw back home runs hit by opposing players onto the playing field. Usually, I mean, that's not advisable I know it's a tradition at Wrigley, but those people just throw the ball as far as they can back towards the infield. They're not throwing at players, and I don't really recall anybody ever getting hit by those. I'm sure it's happened in the history of the sport, but um, not with intent, though. In this case, you have intent, and in this case, I don't see why you would not arrest that guy and put him in jail. The incident occurred just before the bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, Verdugo rightfully responded angrily, turned and challenged the fan to come on down into the arena where they could have a further discussion about uh, his actions. Umpires quickly, along with stadium workers, raced to the outfield to ensure that that not happen, but also to identify the fan. Lots of people doing the right thing here and pointing towards this scumbag who threw the baseball to get him out of there. You know, I'm not advocating... Um, uh, assault or, or violence in the stands. But I, I do root for uh, the, that kind of extreme reaction to match that sort of extreme behavior. When I see it, when, it's, when I'm watching a game, if I were in attendance in the stands, if fans were to take matters in their own hands, literally, and pummel that man as the security guards came, it would not break my heart. It's, as, it's, it's, it's a little bit like... Uh, on airplanes anymore. Get a little squirrely on an airplane and see how long it takes for everybody to say, no, 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 not today. 
We've got a lot of videos of people beaten, being beaten to within an inch of their life for standing up and threatening, uh, you know, uh, flight attendants and acting as if they're trying to get into the cockpit. Mm-mm. I mean, we all know post 9-11, there's a, an understanding amongst all of the individuals getting on the plane. Let's keep it cool. Let's keep it between the lines. We're all a little on edge and we will be forevermore. Don't act like the fool because this is the beating that's going to take place here. And it's like there's a code amongst the men. All of us look at each other and nod like, I got you. Anything gets a little unruly in here, I got you. Because we're not, no, no, nobody, nobody ever again will sit idly by as a lunatic threatens all of our lives. That's not happening. The ass kickings are going to be overwhelming. I feel like we got to get to that place in the stands of baseball games or football games or basketball games or tennis matches or wherever you see this sort of unlawful behavior. We got to take our sports back. Most of us, 99.9% of us, go into a sporting event, have a great time, cheer our heads off passionately for our teams and our players, boo the opposing team, every right to do just that, have a great time, go home, but act like a freaking civilized human being who's bought into the social construct that is us mutually enjoying a sporting event without you being part of said sporting event because you're not. Low-hanging fruit, and it's easy, and I'm not telling you something you don't know, but golly, I wish he would have had the chance to go in the stands. He wanted it. He wanted to. You get a few more mismatches, let's put it that way, where these players, all of whom are typically uh, fairly sizable individuals and uh, well-trained elite physical specimens, you get a few incidents in which we get another malice in the palace. <laughs> get your hands up, man. What are you doing? I mean, there's some shots being taken there. There's some shots being taken there. That you're like, well, I bet you're rethinking your decision to storm the court now, sir. That's a big man. I I, I want a few more of those just for my own pleasure, admittedly, as sadistic as it is. It's the Jeff Cameron Show. 97 Radio. Well, in the old heartbreaks, there's a fire burning deep inside, and it's mad as it's mean. Well, it's hungry as it's lean, and it's as fleeting as a dream. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.